The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Higher than anticipated. Fair Chairman Jay Powell just rocking Wall Street, signaling a central bank pivot in what many will see as the wrong direction. Caught off guard. Stocks seeing their worst day in weeks as Treasuries do something for the first time in nearly four decades, flashing warning signs of a coming recession. And Powell's hawkish tone selling ripple effects across Wall Street. Goldman Sachs, BlackRock, and more now weighing the odds of a terminal rate near 6%. Plus, the TikTok ban getting some bill, TikTok ban bill getting backing from the White House after being introduced in the Senate. And then later, Warren Buffett doubles down on one of his new favorite stocks. It is Wednesday, March 8th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's kick off the hour with the check on U.S. stocks futures. We're seeing green across the board right now. Very muted open, but slightly to the positive side for both the S&P, the Dow Jones and the Nasdaq. So some green, a welcome sign for many investors. This after a wild day of trading yesterday. The Southern Dow closed lower by more than 570 points, or nearly 2%, and it turned negative for the year. That sharp move lower for every major index coming on comments from Fed Chairman Jay Powell, suggesting that rates may need to go higher than the central bank previously anticipated and at a faster pace. On the heels of those comments, sharp moves higher across the yield curve with the two-year note now trading above 5%. Now, this is very meaningful. It's the highest level since 2007. And with that spike, the spread between the two-year and the 10-year benchmark bond yield is now at its widest since all the way back in September of 1981. Following that move, back in 1981, we saw an economic downturn that lasted more than a year. We're also watching the energy market. After topping 80 bucks a barrel yesterday, oil actually going the other way this morning. We're seeing WTI at about 77 bucks a barrel down about a third of a percent. Brett crude at about 83 bucks a barrel, down fractionally. Also watching natural gas, down about a half a percent. We're also watching cryptocurrency, as we always do. Bitcoin falling below 22,000. This morning, down about a third of a percent. Ethereum actually up about a third of a percent. Both of them falling over the last five days or so, despite a spike on March the 5th. All right, let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. Our JP Ong is standing by in Singapore. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom. JP, let's begin with you. Indeed, Frank. Good morning to you guys out there. And yes, the Powell, Jay Powell's comments did reverberate out here in Asia. And we saw a lot of stock markets did pull back because of the prospect of higher rates or even higher rates than we were expecting. You saw it play out on the ASX 200 in Australia, despite the fact that the RBA governor, Philip Lowe, did say that their rate hiking cycle might be close to taking a pause. That did nothing to really stop the step back. For the ASX 200 in Sydney, the South Korean Kospi, also very much tech-heavy, also felt the effect of the potential of higher rates. And we also saw mainland Chinese markets mixed and the Hang Seng Tech Index also pulling down the Hong Kong benchmark for the most part. There's also the prospect of uh, a less stimulus, actually, from the National People's Congress as laid out by Beijing lawmakers that also isn't adding much uh, support, for, uh, for lack of a better term, for the prospects of, uh, of 
greater Chinese markets. There was one exception, though, and that was the Nikkei 225, which held on to gains and closed modestly in the green. And that's also because that those comments from Fed Chair Jay Powell led to many currencies here, including the Japanese yen, to weaken. And that supported exporters out on the tech on the export-heavy Nikkei 225 that does, does support it also a lot of these stocks listed in Tokyo, with one exception, though, and that happened to be Nissan Motors, which saw shares take a step back and actually pull back significantly because of S&P, the S&P, because of S&P or Standard Poor's actually cutting their credit rating to junk status. And that weighed on the car maker. They're one of the few car makers that actually lost drought in Tokyo. But so far, one of the lone survivors was actually the Nikkei 225. But still, a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainties, and a bit of uh, taking it on the chin, for lack of a better term, for many stocks out here in the Asia-Pacific. Frank? All right, JP, thanks for that look at the action on the Asian markets. Now over to the early trade over in Europe and our Juliana Tattlebaum with that. Juliana, great to see you while I was in London over the weekend. Hey, Frank, good morning. Well, here in Europe, the market has been a little bit more resilient than what you've seen stateside. We've got a bit of green on the board this morning. The Zetra DAX, FTSE MIB, and the IBEX 35 in Spain all trading marginally higher. A little bit of a pullback in uh, the French, Swiss, and UK markets. Yesterday, we also had a more resilient performance than what you saw on Wall Street. And uh, part of the reason, because the economic picture is a little bit different here. This morning, just minutes ago, we got Eurozone Q4 GDP estimates revised slightly lower to 1.8% year-on-year from 1.9% initially estimated. But that is a more lagging indicator. And the story here has been that the lagging indicators a little bit weaker than uh, had been expected, but the more forward-looking indications have been stronger than expected. So perhaps part of the reason for the more buoyant performance in equity markets. From a sector perspective in Europe, here's the split. We've got on the upside, basic resources catching a bid up three-tenths of a percent. Autos also performing well. Continental, one of the big movers in the auto sector this morning, to the upside. Banks also performing well, up 0.6%. One name to highlight for you in particular is Adidas. The sportswear giant is bracing for another tough year after posting an operating loss of 724 million euros in the fourth quarter as China sales plunged by half. Now, the sportswear giant cut its dividend this morning to 70 cents per share, adding that losses from the termination of its partnership with Kanye West will continue into this year. So huge fallout from the termination of that partnership. Shares down about 2%. Frank? All right, Juliana, thanks for the latest from London. Now time for a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Our Savannah Hanau is here with those. Good morning, Savannah. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway adding to its already massive stake in Occidental Petroleum. According to a filing late yesterday, the company just bought another 5.8 million shares over the past three trading days, ranging in price from 59.80 cents a share to 61.90 cents a share. Now, this latest buy, totaling $350 million, now brings Berkshire's total stake in Oxy to $12.2 billion, or just over 200 million shares. The White House throwing its support behind a new bipartisan Senate bill that would give the Biden administration the power to ban TikTok in the U.S. Dubbed the Restrict Act, the bill would allow the Commerce Department to review deals, software updates and data transfers in which a foreign adversary has an interest. And reports this morning that crypto bank Silvergate is in talks with regulators exploring ways to avoid a total shutdown. According to Bloomberg, options on the table include lining up new investors to help shore up liquidity. Bloomberg notes FDIC examiners arrived at Silvergate's offices last week and are currently examining its books and records, Frank. All right, Silvana, thank you very much. We'll see you later on the show. All right, turning our attention back to futures. Investors looking to shake off the dust from yesterday's Powell-fueled sell-off. 
The chairman set to return to Capitol Hill later this morning for day two of a semiannual testimony before Congress. This after telling lawmakers in the Senate yesterday the central bank's job of getting inflation under control is far from over. Powell added interest rates may still need to go higher for longer. We've taken forceful actions to tighten the stance of monetary policy. We have covered a lot of ground, and the full effects of our tightening so far are yet to be felt. Even so, we have more work to do. I think the, the, the data we've seen so far, and we still have other data to see, we yeah. still have significant data to see before the meeting, suggests that, that the, the ultimate rate that we write down will, may well be higher than what we wrote down in December. All right, let's bring in Troy Gasky, Chief Market Strategist for FS Investments. Troy, a lot to unpack right there from Jay Powell. What was your take on his comments and also the fact that just yesterday we saw the CME Fed watch tool where only 30 percent of traders saw a 50 basis point hike. Now, after Powell's testimony, now 70 percent of traders see a 50 point basis hike coming up. Yeah, so it just confirms the fact, right, that every time inflation started to decline and show progress, that it's going to be a long road to 3%, let alone 2 And Powell was clearly articulating the fact that, you know, now that inflation, the labor market has popped back up, economic growth has improved, you know, the terminal rate's going to be higher, and they're going to be at that rate for far longer than most of the permeable crowd or those that are clinging to an 09 to 2021 type market environment we're hoping for. So we saw the big sell-off yesterday, the Dow falling more than 570 points. We also saw a sell-off on the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. Was that a sign that not even a 25 basis point hike was priced in? I mean, this reaction, I don't think Jay Powell or anyone else from the Fed's ever said the words pause or pivot out loud, but the market seemed to continue to bank on this idea that we were going to see one. Yeah, we we think a lot of that gets back to, remember, there's a tug of war right now going on between technical traders, particularly systematic trend followers, and and fundamental investors. There are very few fundamental investors that are uh, naive enough to think that 18 to 18 and a half times forward earnings on the S&P is cheap. Um, That being said, after markets have bounced and passed the 200-day moving average, you start to see a lot of CTA or trend following buying. And, And so effectively... You know, as Powell reiterated that, hey, we're going to get go to higher rates for longer um, and we open the door to a 50 basis point hike. Mm-hmm. You know, the fundamental investors uh, dwarf any technical buying. And if we blow through the 200 day moving average, you know, it's sort of look out below at this point, uh, given the forward trajectory of the Fed. All right. Volatile market right now. Uh, what are you telling clients about uh, their investments right now and where are you looking to put some money to work? Yeah, look, in the big picture, this is an environment to protect capital. Don't be a hero. You know, focus on strategies that can make, you know, mid to high single digits with low volatility. You know, alternative strategies like senior secured commercial real estate uh, loans, multi-strategy solutions. But we know that alternatives, even though they're more democratized now, they're never going to be more than 10, 20 or 30 percent of a client's allocation. So, so within you know broader markets, you, you got to look for medium to long term trends that you can believe in, and tolerate the volatility. So, one of our core theses the last several years has been tied to natural resources uh, and, and energy. Okay. In that, you know, basically the energy and natural resource complex has gone through this secular stagnation period for for fixed investment in order to make new production. Okay. And that's Troy, a let me, very Let me just jump in for a second. Yeah. I know you got a couple of picks for us and just on the yeah. on the graphic there, 
uh, we listed BDC. So you have some picks mm-hmm. in the BDC space. Give them to us real quick. And why are you so bullish on this space in particular? Yeah. So, so that's another theme is, is cash flow is king, right? And in an environment where the Fed is hiking, one of the advantages of BDCs, which are basically providing average investors uh, access to private credit markets, uh, which is institutional strategy, is you have primarily floating rate exposures, uh, some of them trade at significant discounts to NAV, which boosts the yield. So if you had to have a 10 to 14% dividend yield, you can tolerate a lot of volatility. Um, that yield sh- should go up as the Fed continues to hike. Right. And even though credit quality will deteriorate a bit here, um, a soft landing is not the end of the world for credit quality. Uh, so cash flow is king tied to that theme, and that gives you a way to play the upside to the Fed with a very healthy level of cash flow. Uh, Cash flow is king. I think everybody likes cash, Troy. Uh, Really quick, your picks in the BDC space, ARCC, ORCC, and FSK, just for the audience out there, they can look it up themselves. Troy Gajewski, great to have you on. Thanks for being here. Yep. All right, we come back here on WEX, straight from Sarah Week, a first on CNBC interview with Dow CEO Jim Fitterling, his take on inflation, recession fears, and much, much more. Plus, more ahead of Jay Powell's second day of testimony today on Capitol Hill and what the street is now saying about the Fed's policy path forward. And later on in the show, new revelations in the Fox News Dominion lawsuit as both sides release hundreds of pages of new evidence, including new text messages and new emails. A very busy hour is still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to WEX. Energy industry leaders are descending on Texas for the 2023 Sarah Week in Houston. CNBC's Brian Sullivan, friend of the show, was there on the ground and joins us now with a special guest. We're pleased to be joined here at the Sarah Week by SB Global Conference by Jim Fitterling. He is the chairman and CEO of Dow. Thank you. Dow in the Dow, and Dow's an amazing company. And I love this interview because... I really, truly believe, Jim, you guys are a leading indicator. You you are in so many industries at the very most basic level, either it's manufacturing, supply chains, the energy transition. From your perch, is the U.S. economy headed into a recession? Well, difficult to call a recession right now. I I would say the the economy's changed a little bit. We've seen a move away from durable goods orders, so big-ticket items, as you would expect, and with inflation happening. People are focusing more on their day-to-day needs. So we've seen a shift from durable goods to services. Uh, discretionary goods like uh, consumer durable, non-durables are holding up relatively well. Okay. And, and of course, what, is, what does that tell you then when you look at that analysis? It's not different from what we typically see in a, in a, mar- in a slowdown environment. You know, when the, when the consumer gets concerned, 
they stop making big ticket purchases. Now, housing has been a big driver for all of this because housing was on a tear. Yeah. And now with interest rates being high, mortgage originations are low, new home starts are low. And so typically that has a knock-on effect of consumer electronics, furniture embedding, appliances, et cetera. All things which were going crazy during the COVID pandemic now have slowed back down to more normal levels. And of course, China's big drag on its economy right now is construction as well. And so we've got to watch those two markets for signs of some yeah. rebound here. Because you're in, you're in so many things that we don't even think about. One of the themes this, you know, really just sort of newsy themes, particularly uh, this week at Syria, has been the collapse of natural gas. That's got to be a positive for you. It is. Uh, natural gas is, uh, we use it both for energy, but it's also a feedstock for making all the durable goods that you would buy. Mm -hmm. And so that's a, that's a pos net positive for us. But I, I think it's, it's also an indicator of the season that we're in. I mean, this is spring season. We're moving out of winter. And we navigated through winter pretty well. We didn't have a very cold winter. So both Europe and the United States were able to navigate through better. You spent a lot of your career in Asia. You've been involved. Your, your business is in so many countries. Are, has the U.S. and or global supply chain normalized? Are we back to almost pre-COVID-like situations? We're, we saw in December, and we continue to see through the first quarter, our ability to move marine pack cargo out of the U.S., get back to normal levels. So that's been good. I would say um, truck traffic. Uh, is back to normal. Actually, overall, if you look at truck transports, things have slowed a little bit because of the durable goods comment that I made earlier. Yeah. And then rail is a big, uh, we're a big shipper on rail, and that's been fairly normal. Jim Fetterling, Chairman and CEO of Dow, thank you very much for spending time with CNBC here at the Sierra Week by S&P Global Conference. All right, great stuff from Brian, as always. Thank you, Brian, for that. And be sure to tune in to the premiere of Brian's new show, Last Call. It starts at 7 p.m. Eastern tonight, and that's only on CNBC. Looking forward to that. All right, ahead here on WEX, get your Ted Lasso on, courtesy of Airbnb. Google goes in person for the first time in years, and Hershey launches some plant-based alternatives. Your top trending stories when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to WEX. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. First up is CrowdStrike. Shares up more than 6.5% as the security software maker's fourth quarter results. And first quarter outlook, they beat analyst estimates. Management says the company is targeting more small to mid-sized business customers, even as those accounts have become harder to close, as they're likely putting off purchases with a looming recession. Next up, shares of Stitch Fix. They are dropping this morning as the online style and clothing service posted a wider fourth quarter loss and its revenue missed forecast. The company is also offering a dim review on sales this quarter as it tries to shore up profits and deal with heavy discounts from other retailers. Shares are down almost 8%. Finally, Casey's General Store. Shares are rising this morning as the company reported better than expected third quarter profit. Sales of beverages, snacks, and candy spurring a more than 5% rise in inside same-store sales. 
Prepare Foods also performing well thanks to strong sales of pizza and donuts. May not know this, Casey's is the nation's third largest convenience store chain. Shares are up almost 2% this morning. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the very latest. Good morning, Francis. Frank, good morning. A tragic update in the kidnapping of four American citizens in Mexico. U.S. and Mexican officials revealed that two of the victims who were kidnapped at gunpoint last Friday are dead, while the other two returned to the U.S. on Tuesday with one suffering injuries. The group of longtime friends had crossed the border through Brownsville, Texas, to Metamoros, Mexico, seeking a medical procedure, according to family members, when they came under heavy gunfire, a law enforcement official calling it a likely case of mistaken identity. The Sooner State won't be turning into the Stoner State anytime soon. Voters in Oklahoma just said no to a ballot provision on Tuesday that would have legalized recreational marijuana use. The proposal would have made Oklahoma the 22nd state to legalize cannabis for those over the age of 21. Anti-marijuana advocates spent nearly $5 million in opposition to the question. This comes after Oklahoma approved the use of medicinal pot back in 2018. So it seems Ticketmaster is ticking people off in countries outside of America as well. Customers who wanted to buy tickets to the yearly Eurovision Song Contest shows in Liverpool, England, reported being kicked off the site or receiving error messages. The competition starts May 9th and shows are now all sold out. In a statement to NBC News, Ticketmaster denied this cited crash, saying that instead, quote, a very small number of fans experience issues accessing the queue. So Eurovision fans, Taylor Swift fans, Beyonce fans, all Frank can commiserate together for those who did not get tickets all because of Ticketmaster. Yeah, I don't think they have the same taste in music, but they have one thing in common. (laughs) Frustration with Ticketmaster. All right, Francis Rivera, great to see you as always. Mm -hmm. All right, as we had to break here on Wax, we're watching shares of WW International, formerly known as Weight Watchers. The stock closing up more than 79% yesterday as it enters the obesity prescription drug business. The stock giving back just a little this morning. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange will be right back. Stay with us. All right, it's right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and we are just getting started here on WEX. Here is what's still on deck. Investors looking to shake off Tuesday's tumble and then Powell-induced sell-off, with the Dow shedding more than 500 points. However, futures suggesting a major turnaround, not in the cards just yet. Investors eager to hear what the Fed chairman will say next after telling senators the central bank is ready to go higher for longer on race to combat inflation. We tee up day two of Powell's testimony. And new details emerging about federal regulators' deep dive into Twitter and its inner workings with an increased interest in new owner Elon Musk. It is Wednesday, March 8th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to WEX. I'm Frank Collins. Pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures ahead of Powell's second day of testimony. Futures right now, they are in the green across the board, up slightly this morning. Bit of a major turnaround. Big move in stocks yesterday, matched by an even bigger move in bonds with yields across the curve moving sharply higher The two-year note now trading above 5%, its highest level since 2007. Of course, we continue to see this inverted yield curve right here with the two-year note above 5%. The spread between the two-year and the 10-year benchmark bond yield, now it's widest since all the way back in September of 1981. And back then, that was ahead of an economic downturn that lasted more than a year. We also want to watch the oil market. Right now, we're seeing the oil market actually move lower from what we saw yesterday. 
WTI crude at about 77 bucks a barrel, down fraction this morning, about three bucks cheaper than it was yesterday. Same story for Brent crude at about 83 bucks a barrel. Uh, fears of a rate hike also launching fears of demand destruction when it comes to the oil market. On the heels of Powell's comments in yesterday's U.S. sell-off, let's get a quick check on Europe with our Arabile Gumide. Arabile, what's going on over there? Yeah, Frank, it's a good morning to you, man. So certainly markets have really looked to follow on from yesterday's steep fall. European markets had fallen by the steepest in two weeks then. Following on from Jay Powell's speech, of course, uh, at Congress, they're really speaking about more rate hikes on the way. The, the symptoms still look a little bit different, however, here in the UK. We even saw the BOE's uh, own uh, members while speaking about how perhaps it's time to pause. So we'll certainly see how the market reacts to that pretty mixed picture thus far at present. On to the earnings front, though. Adidas bracing for another tough year then. And that's after posting an operating loss of 724 million euros in the fourth quarter as China's sales plunged by half. The sportswear giant cut its dividend by 70 cents per share, adding that losses from the termination of its partnership with Kanye West will continue into this year. So certainly a difficult story there. As you can tell, a bit of red for Adidas. Yeah, a bit of red there. Arabila Gumede, live in London. Thank you very much. All right, now time for a check on the morning's top story. Silvana Hanau is back with those. Good morning again, Silvana. Good morning again to you, Frank. Federal investigators formally opening a wide-ranging probe into Norfolk Southern over a series of accidents involving its trains. The National Transportation Safety Board says it's making the move given the number and significance of accidents involving the company, calling for it to immediately review its safety practices. Norfolk Southern has faced increasing scrutiny over its operations following two derailments in Ohio in just a matter of weeks, including in East Palestine, Ohio. CEO Alan Shaw is set to testify before a Senate panel on Thursday about that derailment. The Federal Trade Commission telling Twitter to offer up key internal documents as part of the agency's probe into the social media platform. Among the information under investigation, communications related to owner Elon Musk, detailed information about layoffs and the names of journalists with whom the company has records. And Fox chairman Rupert Murdoch saying anchors at his company's news network went, quote, too far in pushing fraud claims around the 2020 election. The revelation coming from documents submitted as part of Dominion Voting System's $1.6 billion lawsuit against Fox. Other documents showing Murdoch rejecting conspiracy theories about Dominion that his own network promoted, Frank. All right, Osavon Hanau, thank you for those headlines. Sure thing. All right, turn our attention back to our top story and Fed Chairman Jay Powell heading back to Capitol Hill this morning for day two of testimony, this time before the House Financial Services Committee. This after telling senators yesterday the Fed was caught off guard by some recent economic data and will need to act accordingly. The latest economic data have come in stronger than expected, which suggests that the ultimate level of interest rates is likely to be, to be higher than previously anticipated. If the totality of the data were to indicate <clears throat> that faster tightening is warranted, we'd be prepared to increase the pace of rate hikes. And Powell's hawkish comments catching many across Wall Street off guard. Take a look at this. Just yesterday, before Powell was on the Hill, interest rate traders were pinning the odds of a 50 basis point rate hike later this month at just about 30 percent, 31.4 percent. This morning, those odds, according to the CME FedWatch tool, they're now surging more than 70 percent. Investment banks and research shops quick to change their outlooks as well. This morning, BlackRock and Schroeder's among those who are now considering the Fed's terminal rate may reach 6 percent. 
Goldman overnight adding a July rate hike to its forecast, raising its peak call for the Fed funds rate by one quarter of one percent. The new target between 5.5 percent and 5.75 percent. A lot of numbers there. Joining me now, Nick Tiramos, chief economics correspondent at The Wall Street Journal. A lot to break down here. Glad to have you here. You're also the author of Trillion Dollar Triage, detailing the Fed's policy response to the covid shock. So we got so much to talk about, Nick. I think the first question, any expectation of a change of tone from Jay Powell now that he sees that the market has priced in this possible hike? Frank, you're absolutely right. That is the big question today, because uh, Powell now sees what everybody else sees, which is that the market is priced in 50. And so this will be his opportunity to reset expectations if he wants to. Uh, But what he said yesterday was that the data is going to play an important role here, and he doesn't know what the payroll report is going to be Friday. Uh, We will get the JOLTS uh, job opening survey today. And then, of course, the inflation report next week, retail sales. So there's still data that could make up their mind here. Uh, But what I thought was important yesterday was that Powell also pointed to the revisions. So it wasn't just the January, the hot January data we got, but it was the revisions that changed the profile uh, of what the economy looked like late last year. And it seems unlikely uh, that that's going to change in the next batch of data. So the revisions seem important here. Yeah, it seems like the market kind of shrugged off those revisions. Certainly, it seems like Jay Powell did not. Um, speaking of economic data, we have CPI coming up. And then the week after that, we have the Fed decision. So how important will this CPI report be? We saw inflation kind of plateau. Does it need to go lower to avoid this 50 basis point hike? Or is that just happening no matter what? Well, when they say that they're data dependent, I guess you have to take them at their word. But I think you're right. We thought before this meeting, uh, it looked like the bar to do 50 was fairly high. That's what markets seem to be pricing and a fairly high bar and that you would really need to see hot data for them to do 50. And the way the market reacted yesterday suggests that the bar has been lowered. And now you would really need to see weak data for them to do 25. That was sort of the consensus of uh, several outside analysts I spoke to yesterday. I think the other big story here, Frank, is just the lack of confidence around where the terminal rate is. If you go back to the last FOMC meeting, the whole architecture, their whole strategy seemed to be, you know, if you think you're going to be hitting traffic soon, if you think you're going to be getting to where you need to go, then you can slow down. Now they seem to be saying, well, Maybe we didn't know, you know, that 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 was the right place to slow down. We may have to speed up here if we think that we just don't know where the terminal rate is. Yeah, I think I think uh, indecision may be the word of today. So let me ask you this. If we do eventually see that 50 basis point hike, what does that tell us about the Fed, its inner workings and their path forward? Well, I think it tells you that they're, you know, trying to figure this out just along with everybody else. This has been a very unusual recovery Uh, The idea a year ago, you know, if you had told people a year ago, the Fed's going to go up 450 basis points in 12 months and the unemployment rate's going to fall to 3.4 percent. I don't think you would have had a lot of people believing you. And, uh, you know, the Fed has wanted to see the economy slow down. I think part of what's happening here is less confidence in the soft landing uh, because the economy reaccelerated as financial conditions eased a little bit over the last three months. All right. So obviously, Jay Powell's taking the main stage. But one of those side stages, we do have Richmond Fed President Tom Barkin. He's going to be speaking about the labor market this morning. Is that a meaningful uh, you know, discussion that he's going to have or is it all about what Jay Powell says to the House? Oh, I think it's all about what Jay Powell says to the House. Powell is, you know, driving the committee at key points like this one. 
This is a large committee. If anybody who's ever had to lead 18 people will know that <laughs> it can be hard to get uh, agreement here. Obviously, there were some different views at the last meeting. There were a few Fed presidents that wanted to do 50 then. I do wonder if you would have had dissents at that point. If they had done 50, you would have had uh, potential dissents from people who wanted to do 25. And so that'll be a question here is, you know, how does the rest of the committee uh, react to this after it felt like they had socialized this plan of raising rates by 25 basis points at every meeting until you see some sign that you've done enough? Uh, you know, this is this is a, a reflection that if you'd had that data in hand at the January meeting, maybe you wouldn't have done 25 at that meeting. All right. Nick Timoros uh, from The Wall Street Journal, also author of Trillion Dollar Triage, detailing the Fed's policy response to the COVID shock. Seems like they're still responding, Nick. Great to have you here. Thank you again. Thank you, All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, President Biden's big budget proposal and ushering in higher taxes on wealthy Americans. Our Robert Frank lays out the wider net the White House is casting to raise revenues. But first, as we had to break, some of your top trending stories. Google's annual developers conference set to take place in person for the first time since all the way back pre-pandemic in 2019. Airbnb and Apple TV teaming up to make some Ted Lasso fans' dreams a reality, allowing the fortunate few to stay at the show's Crown and Anchor Pub in London for only 13 bucks a night in October. And to all the vegan chocolate lovers out there, you can soon try plant-based Reese's peanut butter cups and Hershey's chocolate bars, both of them plant-based. The company is launching Sweet Treats nationwide this spring. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. President Biden is preparing to roll out his latest budget proposal later this week, but in a sneak peek revealing he will help shore up Medicare's finances through 2050, in part by increasing taxes on the wealthy. Robert Frank joins us now. But Robert, I don't want to call this a wealth tax just yet because it looks like it's not just the wealthy who may face higher taxes here. That's right, Frank. It's the sort of affluent as well. Biden calling for two tax hikes to fund Medicare. First, there's an increase in the Medicare taxes for those earning more than $400,000 a year. The tax, which is split with employers, goes from 3.8 to 5%, and it would not be capped by income. So tax analysts say this effectively creates a new top federal tax rate of 42%. The bigger change would be applying this tax to active business profits. Now, right now, Business profits from pass-throughs and partnerships are not subject to the tax. A growing number of lawyers, accountants, real estate investors, celebrities, money managers, they label a lot of their pay now as business profits rather than wages to avoid this tax. Now, Biden calls this a loophole. Proponents say closing it would actually hurt a lot of small businesses. It's expected to generate over $200 billion a year in added revenue, over, sorry, that's over 10 years. Now, Biden may also increase the top marginal tax rate, just rumors he may do this, we'll see on Thursday, from 37% to 39.6%. Now, you combine that with a Medicare increase, and the top federal rate would be 44.6%. In California, that means a combined state and federal rate of 57.9%. New York City, Frank, it would all add up to 59 so, Robert, just kind of listen to what you were saying. Uh, both of my parents have been entrepreneurs and they have LLCs. Is what you're talking about that the pass through through an LLC, would that be impacted by this? Absolutely. Now, it sort of depends on 
how much your parents and others categorize as wages currently. If they categorize their categorize most of their pay as wages, it wouldn't really be much more than a 3.8 to 5 percent increase. But many people, if they're in a pass through an LLC, an S corp, they're starting to shift more of their income and label it as a business profit. Mm-hmm. In that case, it would go from zero to 5%. So for many of these companies that have been using what Biden calls a loophole, it's going to be a big increase. And yeah. it would affect some, I would say, medium-sized businesses, because again, the income has to be over $400,000 a year. Yeah, I think that would impact a lot of small businesses. The rise in LLCs in recent years, a lot of people looking for that pass-through benefit for their taxes. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to be looking at uh, looking to their accountant for a lot of answers, Robert. Robert Frank. Frank and Frank, we do it again, man. Great to have you on. All right, ahead here on WEX, investors gearing up for another round of Powell testimony. Jeff Kilberg and Ivory Johnson lay out what to do with your money amid the risk of higher rates for longer by the Federal Reserve. And as we had to break throughout the month of March, we're celebrating women's heritage, sharing the stories of women leaders in business and those of our CNBC teammates and contributors. Here is UPS CEO Carol Tomei. 100 years ago, UPS hired its first woman into our company. That trailblazer's name was Jessie Bell, and she worked as a clerk stenographer in Los Angeles. Today, Jessie's legacy is thriving, with women playing a critical role at every level of our workforce. And I'm honored to be the first woman to serve as our CEO. Today, one-third of our C-suite is comprised of women, and 46% of our board of directors is made up by women. But it doesn't stop there. Beyond our walls, we've provided resources and training to more than 100,000 women and small business owners, helping them expand their reach and achieve their goals. Shattering glass, that's a reason to celebrate. All right, welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. We begin with Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, buying more shares of Occidental Petroleum in the past three days. That's according to an SEC filing. Berkshire is the company's biggest shareholder with a stake of about 22%. The White House endorsing a bipartisan bill that could give President Biden the authority to ban or force the sale of TikTok. The Restrict Act was introduced in the Senate yesterday. Elon Musk claims that that Twitter is now close to being cash flow positive. Speaking at a Morgan Stanley conference in San Francisco, Musk says it is startling how little money Twitter makes, but it could break even this quarter. Reports this morning that crypto bank Silvergate is in talks with regulators exploring ways to avoid a total shutdown. According to Bloomberg, options on the table include lining up new investors to help shore up liquidity. And shares of Stitch Fix are falling after the online style service posted a wider second quarter loss and offered a dim review on sales for this quarter. WeWork is in talks to raise capital and restructure billions of dollars in debt. The New York Times reports Yardi Systems, a real estate software maker, is among the potential investors, but WeWork's biggest shareholder, SoftBank, is not. Gearing up for the trading day ahead, a slew of economic data on tap, weekly mortgage apps, February ADP employment, January trade deficit jolts in the Fed's beige book. We also get earnings from Campbell's Soup, Brown Foreman, and MongoDB. And the key event of the day, as we've been talking about all morning, Powell's second day on Capitol Hill, as he testifies before the House Financial Services Committee at 10 a.m. Eastern, CNBC will have full coverage of that testimony. 
All right, let's dive into that, pal. Testimony of the economy and what it means for your money with Jeff Kilbert, KKM Financial Founder and CNBC Contributor, and Ivory Johnson, Delancey Wealth Management Founder. Great to have you both on right now. Thanks for having me. Good morning, us. Frank. All right, Jeff, I'm going to start with you, but Ivory, I'm going to ask you the same question. Just yesterday, we saw interest rate traders. They were pinning the odds of a 50 basis point rate hike later this month at just 30 percent. That was obviously before Jay Powell's testimony. Now those odds, according to the CME Fed Watch tool, surging more than 70 percent. What does that say about what you're expecting in the markets today and beyond? It really reveals, Frank, that no one really knows what's going to come out in the jobs report this Friday and the next inflationary data. So it's fascinating to see that surge of expectations. But what's fascinating also to remember is just last week we got so encouraged when Bostic, remember Fed Chairman Bostic came out, Fed Bostic came out and talked about 25 basis points. So I think the market is really getting ahead of itself. However, maybe the market got way too ahead of itself when we thought the pause was coming. So the outlier number of January, which is exactly what I thought it was for the jobs report, when we had more than 500,000 jobs, I think we're going to see a wildly different and contrasting number, weaker than expected, under 200,000 this Friday. And if we do see a revision lower in that January number, we're kind of back to where we were. And where are we, Frank? We're above the 200-day moving average in the S&P 500. The VIX is under 20. We all need to take a big, deep breath and realize that this rate normalization process, which has been going on for quite some time, is volatile, it's bumping, it's quite emotional. All right, Ivory, what about you? Are you taking a deep breath? Are you seeing some meaning in interest rates traders uh, going from 30 percent of them believing we're going to get that 50 basis point hike to now 70 percent? Well, well, I think it's a lot like a codependent child with helicopter parents, uh, you know, always <laughs> somebody bailing them out. And, and so they're accustomed to the Fed pivoting. Uh, I don't know why they would think that. I think he was very clear in his comments that he will do whatever it takes to curb inflation. And to Jeff's point, you know, one of the ways he, he wants to do that is by increasing unemployment. And I'll tell you, he's on his way. Uh, if you look at 73 percent of Americans who live in states where initial jobless claims have already gone up, we've already lost more tech jobs uh, in this cycle than we did in the dot-com crisis. And so you know, I, I'd be a little bit concerned because now you're looking at bad economic data. Earnings growth on a year-over-year basis is decidedly negative. We don't just have an inverted yield curve on a percentage basis. It's actually deeper than it was in 1981. And so when you start to bring in to play higher interest rates, that that causes issues with refinancing risk. You talked about uh, raising taxes in the federal government. That's because the Federal Reserve was sending them $100 billion a year in profits. That stopped. Uh, the refinance risk was because they borrowed so much money on the short end of the yield curve. That's going to blow a hole in the budget. So when you start raising rates, that then causes economic growth to decelerate. And so I'd be concerned and I'd, I'd be paying close attention to how the market responds going forward. Yeah, the decline in earnings, Arbery, is something a lot of people are watching. So let me ask you, and Jeff, I'm going to ask you the same question. How are you balancing portfolios? Just about two weeks ago, we've heard a lot of people say, you know, 60-40, that'll work. Is that going to work right now, or do you want to up your investment when it comes to bonds? Well, I'd be 40 to 60 uh, percent. But look, at my age, you start to get nostalgic. I already invoked the image of Paul Volcker. Uh, and so I'd, I'd have more cash, right? I, I, you know, money markets are paying 45 to 5 percent with no volatility. It's, it's not cash. It's a cash equivalent, obviously. Um, but, but still, no volatility, 4.5%. That's a nice you know, co- comparison to, to bonds right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, anytime people go to cash, uh, the dollar gets stronger. So I think you're going to continue to see the dollar get stronger. And you know, gold typically does well when economic growth and inflation decelerate at the same time. And so those are some areas I'd, I'd want to hide in until we find out what the fallout will be from higher interest rates 
because I'm concerned about the refinance risk and what that might mean for credit markets. So, Ivory, I want to just clarify. You're saying 40 percent equity, 60 percent in mutual funds or cash? In, in cash and, and, and other alternative assets like gold. And, and, and okay. if you're going to do bonds, I'd consider doing bond ladders. All right, Jeff, what about you? I mean, I'm sure your phone's been ringing off the hook after that sell off. How are you balancing right now? Is there any big change that you, that you see that's needed right now? So we are rebalancing, but I am more cautiously optimistic. But I think Ivory brings up a great point. That front end of the curve, that cost of capital with the two-year now above 5%. That's fascinating to me due to the fact that the cost of capital, it takes time. It doesn't take a month or two. It takes quarters upon quarters. If we remember going back in the 90s, it takes decades to really have this rate normalization process. But where we're allocating, we're looking at energy. Yes, it's weak year to date. But the themes that worked in 2022 are going to work again in 2023. I have optimism that it's a post midterm election year. Historically speaking, Frank, we do see the stock market up about 16%. So understand the range that we are trading in. The range in the S&P 500 is from 3,900 to 4,200. Emotions get high when we get to 3,900. Emotions get high at 4,200. I think you have to rebalance and reallocate there. But I think going into this next couple data points, remember, Fed Chairman Powell has reiterated the fact that they are data dependent. No one's really thinking that inflation can actually come down. I'm in the camp that we will see inflation abate. And it's going to be a very different picture where the Fed may be able to come up for air, sit on their hands, and let this higher cost of capital that Ivory smart, smartly pointed out will, again, affect the consumer. I know it's been a mixed bag in earnings. We saw Dick's Sporting's Good yesterday rip the right. uh, literally the cover off the ball. But at the end of the day, I think the consumer strength will weaken going into the next quarter. All right, you're hoping the Fed sits on their hands, but I don't think many investors are going to sit on their hands. Let's get over to picks. Ivory, your pick actually plays off the dollar. Dollar up 2.2% in just the last month. Your pick is ticker uh, UUP. Explain why you're so bullish on this. Well, well, you know, relative to other foreign currencies, we're, we're the, the cleanest shirt in the laundry bin. So as more investors go to cash, the dollar goes up. And you think about that, what that does for our global trading partners. You know, when, when our dollar goes up, their currency goes down. Uh, that causes inflation. And then, then they have to tighten into an economy that's already slowed. And okay. it creates another, another loop. So if, if you don't mind a K-1 and waiting till you know, uh, very late in the tax season to file your taxes, that, that's a great place to hide. All right, Jeff, we got to get over to you. Your picks, the nasties of the NASDAQ. Explain that thesis. The nasty of the NASDAQ is very similar to the dogs of the Dow. If you think of Lucid, Tesla, AMD, these are names that really are interest rate sensitive. So I'm in the camp. I'm going back to where I cut my teeth in the fixed income pits in Chicago. I don't think the 10-year is going to be above 4%. So when that comes down, that's going to help some of the more high beta volatile names. We also like energy. We also like owning essential names. You know Frank, I'm very tactical in the portfolios that I manage. So being tactical, reallocating, and buying your losers and selling your winners makes a lot of sense as we see continued volatility in very choppy markets. So take advantage of these choppy markets. Don't hide underneath your desk. All right, Jeff Kilberg, Ivory Johnson. What a tag team you guys are. I like this combo. Yes, Thank you both for being here this morning. We always appreciate it. All right, Thank that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, 
as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.